Recode Radio presents Too Embarrassed to Ask, hosted by me, Kara Swisher, and Lauren Good of The Verge, powered by digital media. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. And I'm Lauren Good, senior editor of technology at The Verge. And this is Too Embarrassed to Ask, a podcast that's all about making technology easier to understand and use. If you have questions that you've been dying to ask, we'll give you the answers, plus our views on all of the latest gadgets. Submit your questions in advance by tweeting them to at Recode with the hashtag AskRecode. That's all one word, hashtag A-S-K-R-E-C-O-D-E. You can find all of our past episodes on iTunes at itunes.com slash too embarrassed to ask. And while you're there, give us a review. Lauren and I are here in San Francisco just a couple of days for the start of the Super Bowl, which is in San Jose, but it's sort of taken over San Francisco. Yeah, it's been really great for traffic here in San Francisco, which is just a mere 45 miles away from where the actual Super Bowl will Yeah, be. but it's like clogged up the whole city. Our yeah. office is in Super Bowl City. We can't even, it's hard to get into it our is, office. It is, which is why I just wanted to tell you I haven't been in the office much this week. Well, I would know, neither That's have I. Why. <laughs> no, yeah, nobody <laughs> wants to come downtown. San Francisco is a very small city, too. It's relatively small. Yeah. Yeah, and we're expected, I think, about about a million tourists. Why don't they to go to San Jose? Like, that's where it is, right? I guess there's not much. I don't to, know. You know, kind of I the... don't know. I guess some people will be for the actual yeah. game, but other people will just be hanging out and having a good time up here. Yeah, absolutely. So today on Too Embarrassed to Ask, we're going to ask about Fitbit's Alta and whether its new device can make a splash in the market. Later in the show, we're also going to be talking to Recode Associator Mark Bergen about what Google is doing under its newly created parent company, Alphabet. But first this week, Fitbit announced the Alta, which it thinks you'll want to wear every day, not just when you're exercising. Lauren, you're a wearables expert and have written a lot of great stuff about the industry for Recode and The Verge. Tell us a bit about this Alta. About this Fitbit. Yes, this Fitbit. Explain first. So Fitbit earlier this week on Wednesday announced its newest wearable called the Alta. Mm-hmm. And they're really putting fashion first with this one. Some of the earlier Fitbits, as you know from wearing them, we've all worn them. They're kind of... They're ugly. They're Lauren. utilitarian, they're ugly. let's say. They're anti-dating devices. Yeah, they're, as Walt Mossberg says, they're celibacy bands. Mm-hmm. But people have worn them. Millions mm-hmm. of people have they worn do. them because they have great brand recognition and they've just sort of accepted, like, okay, they can do this thing for me and maybe they don't look so pretty but in either case Fitbit has decided that they're going more the route of jawbone in a sense and they've made something that looks more like a bracelet Mm -hmm. than it looks like a tracker right so it's got these le- interchangeable leather bands it mm-hmm. does have a little tiny touchscreen display and it's your basic tracker you know it counts your steps and tracks your sleep and works with the fitbit app and so and why all do you want to wear it every day well the idea is that because it looks a little bit more like a bracelet mm-hmm. and because it's modular you, know, you can swap the bands out and things like that that you would wear it like a piece of jewelry and mm-hmm. it wouldn't look I'd wear as a piece bulky. of jewelry like a piece of jewelry. This just me, but all right, go ahead. But this is a trend that we're starting right. to see more. Right. Like we saw a little bit of this like, at yeah. CES, you know, when yeah. Fossil's getting to the Fossil acquired Misfit. Right. And even to an extent, Apple has made a lot of efforts around presenting the Apple Watch as something that, you know, fashionistas and, and right. the elite and celebrities wear and things like that. Like people, these companies realize that if people don't want to wear their wearables because right. they're ugly, unwearables, right? They're unwearables. Then there's no no data being collected and you can't get any value from wearing them. I think just embed something in my wrist, honestly. They're so ugly. They're really Is this one do you think it's prettier? I think we should do that for an episode. 
we're gonna bring we're gonna bring in a body modification specialist and they're gonna embed something in your room. Oh, fantastic! But I'm asking, but do you life. like? Do you think this is fashionable? This I, thing? I actually think it's kind of nice looking. I was able to see it up close. I haven't used it for an extended period yet, but I will say of all the Fitbits that I've seen, it looks nice. It certainly looks a little bit better than the Blaze, which is mm-hmm. the the smartwatch that they announced at CES. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that in a minute. Month. But but so you didn't wear it yet. When are the regular people's gonna be it's, able to see it? It costs hundred and thirty dollars, and it's going to become available in March. Oh. It's, I think you can pre-order it now. Right. So it's, it's a few weeks from now. We'll and and they're doing this in order to just it. hit all my... But they just announced one at CES, right? Why do they, they need did. another? Which is Blaze. Which didn't they did. Get, eh, well, they're, they're kind of addressing different categories of consumers. So this is the thing, too. When you talk to wearable companies now, they all like to say, well, we're categorizing things differently. Sure. Like Fitbit will say we're, we're in a different category from the Apple Watch. And sure. so Fitbit says there are their everyday wearers they're active wearers, which are people that maybe move around a little bit more. And then yeah. there are performance-focused people. Right. So the Blaze that they announced at CES, which is their smart fitness watch, not exactly a smart watch, not especially attractive, kind of funky looking. But in either case, that one's more for people Wait, that... Is it kind of funky looking? That's not a very... Yeah. What does that mean, kind of funky looking? It's got this... Chunky? Weird sort of like octagonal face and it's a po- It's modular. It's also you, octagonal. You pop Octa- is that how you say it? Octagonal? Okay. Octagonal? Right. Sure. You can say anything you want, Lauren. <laughs> you can any little geeky term up that you want. I'm just going to make up a word. Octagonal. Okay. <laughs> well, it's it's just hard to describe. It's got a pop-out face. It, it is Fitbit's first device with a, a color display. Um, it's big. It's big on the wrist. This is all, we're all talking about the, the right. blaze here. Right. Um, but that is really meant for people who want to stay active, I guess, but also do some specific exercises because it right. can track like a dozen different exercises for you. Mm-hmm. Whereas this Ulta band falls more into their everyday category of people who just want to put something on their wrist, but maybe they're not, they're not doing intense sports or specific workouts What's all the, the time. difference in what the two do with each other? The Blaze has heart rate tracking. Okay. The Alta does not. Okay. So what does it do? It just sits there ugly on your wrist? Wow, you haven't even seen this thing. Uh, you like, know what? I have bought it. so many. I feel like it's bad relationships. I know. You it's have like, your drawer. You have your drawer, drawer full of wearables of that we've wearables talked about. that I don't wear. And yeah, well... Um, I'm going to call them the unwearables. That's my new name for them. Well, you coined it here. You yeah. heard it here first. I'm too embarrassed to ask. Yeah. So, so what does it track? What does it supposedly track? It tracks your steps. It tracks your sleep. And it will vibrate if you've been sitting for too long, which, by the way, is becoming a very common feature mm-hmm. in a lot of these wearable, you know, wrist Tamagotchis. Right. And then it has something called Smart Track, which means that you, if you do decide to exercise wearing this wristband and you don't, you're not like going into the display and saying, I'm starting to play basketball now or something. Fitbit promises that this will automatically recognize what you're doing and log the exercises. That, I say interesting, which is yeah. important to the people who want to keep track of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, until we try it, we're not going to know for sure how well it works or what its value really is. Yeah. But it is interesting that these companies are, they're just throwing a lot of mud at the wall to see yeah. what sticks right mud now. Mud is a good expression. I mean, I think one of the things is the ones that are lighter and more attractive have fewer features, which mean they're not as useful. And the ugly ones have the more of the stuff that you want, like the heartbeat and things like that. Yeah, or, or the touchscreen display Whatever, because yeah. they figure that you, the, the giant display because they figure that you want to see more information. Sure. But then the battery life varies quite a bit, too, because when you look at something that has a giant LCD or OLED mm-hmm. display, if you look at smartwatches, for example, most of them only get about a day, a day and a half of battery life. Fitbit and Jawbone and Misfit and all those companies, the activity trackers tend to get better battery yeah. life. Yeah, that was never a problem. Um, so once you start adding greater features, you know, more features, more powerful sensors and displays into things, you get into really 
tricky territory there where it's, right. it's really difficult to make something that lasts for a long time. Indeed. So let's talk about the bigger wearable market right now. How does Alta fit into it and what impact do you think it's going to have? So Fitbit's an interesting case because the company went public in the summer of 2015. And mm-hmm. so they kind of had to pull back the curtain for the first time and reveal their numbers. And people were really shocked to find that the company is actually profitable and that they had sold millions and millions of devices. I think in their most recent earnings report, they said that they've sold 30 million devices to date. Mm-hmm. They also claim the highest market share of activity trackers in the U.S. Yes, they, they claim do. about 80 percent of the market. And they just have the the benefit of having been out there first. I mean, they've been doing this for I think around seven right. years now. Um, so that's how it stands for activity tracking. But the MPD group did just put out a report earlier this week that said that smartwatch awareness has gone up. Smartwatch sales still pale in comparison to those of like lightweight activity trackers. Mm-hmm. But people are getting more familiar with smartwatches as a product. And right. they did see some growth in unit sales. Just And this is just, we're talking about the US right now. So Apple Watch did have an impact on the smartwatch market yeah, this year. Yeah, everyone bought one. They have a lot of people. Well, bought. I don't know if everyone bought. I mean, it feels that way when you're out here in San Francisco. Actually, but. I have everyone taking them off. I don't see them as much. It's interesting. People wore them and didn't, in my eternal insistence on this issue. I mean, I think what's interesting is how you get the right thing. Because, you know, I'm back to an old watch. I'm, I'm wearing my analog watch. I would say that is actually the greatest issue with these things. Once you do take them off, it's really easy to forget about them. It's really easy to say, all right, that wasn't providing such a great amount of value. It's not like your smartphone, where right. your smartphone dies or you lose your smartphone oh, and you're like, this is my life. And, I, and, I, need, and I need this yeah. thing back and I need to get another one or whatever it might be. A lot of people take off their wearables and they say, well, I, I kind of got it around without that. Okay, so I don't necessarily need it to put it back on or to recharge it or maybe I lost the charger and okay, whatever. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, because companies will say, oh, our user engagement is great or people open up our app a lot to look at the data. And that's how we're measuring this. But Fitbit, interestingly enough, on its last earnings call, didn't share active user data, which is something yeah. they had shared in the past. They said they're going to start reporting that annually rather than quarterly. Um, and we certainly can't get any glimpse into Apple's sign, you know, user engagement no. numbers, though they'll say that it's great. Those people are um, tight as ticks over there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tough not to cry. So well, let's I have think it, which other ones can tight as ticks, tough not to crack. Yeah, let's just use let's just do an entire podcast. Like I can't drum. wait for Mark Bergen to join us in a little bit and use yes, his very quickly. So let's Google. wrap this up. So where do you think it's going? Where do you think this market's going? Well, one thing that we saw that was interesting um, last month at the Consumer Electronics Show was. Fossil had said that they are planning on releasing 100 connected devices this year. And what they mean by that is they're going to take a lot of their existing brands and they're going to start adding connectivity to things. And so I think you're going to see like there's still going to be a few distinct categories in 2016. There's going to be smartwatches that run third party apps and they're kind of geeky devices. They're going to be fitness performance devices. But then I think you're going to see a lot more of just regular watches and regular things that we all wear start to get connectivity. And I think things ultimately have to be, they do have to be decent looking for you to want to wear them. Absolutely. And before we wrap this up, we should actually, speaking of the Apple Watch, my colleagues at The Verge, Walt Mossberg and Eli Patel, they just did a whole episode about Apple Watch on their podcast, Control, Walt Delete. So I highly recommend that our listeners check that out. Fantastic. We're going to take some questions from our readers and listeners in a minute. But first, here's Peter Kafka with a word about Code Media. Hello, I'm Peter Kafka. You are someone listening to Recode Radio. If you're enjoying this interview, you won't want to miss Code Media 2016. Last year, Nick Denton joined us. So did Chelsea Handler. So did Mark Cuban. Let that image sink into your head for a minute. And now you can listen to some audio of that. I mean, when we started AudioNet in 1995, we started saying bits are bits. The money is still in TV. 
Facebook is clearly the strongest and most powerful. We can't afford to be dependent on them because we have something that we want to do. It was too much attention. I wasn't excited to see me anymore, so I could only imagine how other people felt. Fun, right? This year we're going to have John Skipper from ESPN, Shane Smith from Vice Media, a bunch of other folks, some of whom we have yet to announce but are pretty cool. You can view the full speaker lineup and register at recode.net slash events. We'll see you there very soon. Now we're going to take some questions about Fitbit Alta from our listeners. Remember that if you have any questions about tech topics, tweet them to us at hashtag AskRecode. Lauren, who's our first question from? Our first question is from Howard Burl. That's at H. Burl. And he says, do you like it and think it will be a big seller? Well, we already talked about this a little bit. I, I do like the looks of it at first glance. I had brief hands on with it. I haven't gotten to try it for an extended period of time. And it's really tough to say whether or not it will be a big seller. I think for Fitbit, it's obviously a way for them to diversify their product lineup a little bit more. They have had some pretty impressive sales of their existing devices. And we can't really say until, um, you know, we get a sense of of whether or not there's an appetite for this kind of fancy Fitbit, if you want to call it that. A fancy Fitbit. A fancy Fitbit. So next one is Jiwen Zhao. Uh, G-W-N-Z-H-O-U. This looks so good. How does it feel on the wrist? How does it feel on the wrist? How does it feel in the hand? Uh, it feels nice. I don't yeah. know. It feels like a wearable. It feels like a Fitbit. Well, that's not a good thing to say. Yeah, I mean, if you if you were to close your eyes and not look at the nice leather band or the yeah. little touch, the monochrome touchscreen display and say, what does it feel like? You'd say, it feels like I have a Fitbit on my wrist. All right, then. Next question. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't slept in it yet. So right, I don't okay. know. Uh, the next question is from Ken M. Haggerty. That's at Ken M. Haggerty. How good is its sleep tracking? This is actually a really good question because... I think in some ways, the tracking in general on these types of wearable devices, the sleep tracking specifically, can be a little bit dodgy. They're basically using the same combination of sensors that they use to track your steps, things like an accelerometer or a gyroscope, to get a sense of how much you're moving or how often you're waking up during the night. But this particular device doesn't actually have heart rate sensors, which we discussed earlier. And there are some other trackers out there that do use a combination of heart rate sensors and accelerometer and all that. And the heart rate sensors can actually be really helpful in tracking your sleep because they actually know what your heart rate is, um, your resting heart rate while you're sleeping. And so if that spikes, then it might signal that you're waking up. And this particular band doesn't have those sensors. So once again, we're not going to know until we try it. But Personally, I wouldn't go into buying this kind of Fitbit thinking this is going to be the, the best sleep tracker that you could buy. Right. There's lots of other things. There's also apps on your phone. You just leave your thing on your bed, right? Oh, yeah. I tried this product one from yeah. Withings called the Aura yeah. that was like actually There's a sleep of, pad that I put yeah, under my mattress. It didn't work very well, though. No. No, because yeah. if your partner moves in bed next to you, sometimes the sleep pad will interpret that movement as you moving. And it's like you have to have, like put a smart sleep pad under yourself and under your partner and like let's say your dog sleeps on your bed like there's so yeah. there's so many false positives that can come out of that kind of reading and it wasn't a very good know. experience I know. we'll see about this thing all right Stephen b sykes at co-imagine co-imagine it looks great but it, will it save your life will it save your life <laughs> i think he's referring there was a story yeah in, in the uk in early January about a girl, a, a young woman, a college student, I believe, who like her heart rate shot up. She was wearing a Fitbit and her yeah. heart rate shot up at her desk, 200 beats per minute, something crazy like that. She wasn't doing anything. She was just sitting at her desk and she got alarmed 
she called an ambulance and it turned out she had a heart condition and her mother literally wrote like a letter to Fitbit and said, you know, your Fitbit oh. saved my daughter's life. There's oh. also a story recently about someone tracking their breakup on Fitbit. They could oh. see their heart rate spikes. Oh, really? I'm guessing that Stephen B. Sykes is referring to that story will it save your life so these guys these things are not medical devices no no promises made here no promises made and by the way it's not going to save Fitbit's stock price which is still what is oh how is it doing not well not well oh all right have the value after the introduction of the blaze smartwatch but the alta did not cause it to leap in any significant uh, significant way way. the stock has fallen 44.7 percent over the last month Yes, that was actually so the Fitbit Blaze, um, the stock did nosedive after the announcement of that watch at CES. And then uh, later that week, Fitbit was actually hit with a class action lawsuit from a few consumers who were complaining that the heart rate tracking was not accurate. And that's something we've seen with other wrist based heart rate tracking before. It's often not the most accurate. So um, Fitbit had a little bit of a a rough month. Well, we'll see about this one then. We'll see about the Alta. All right, Lauren. Thanks a lot. And now we'd like to thank our sponsor, Red Chair Pictures, and their new film, The Unbroken Tablet. It's a story about love, redemption, and tablets that were absolutely not responsible for any technical glitches in the sidelines. It was network issues, okay? When an aspiring football star is relegated to holding the team's Microsoft Surface tablets, he crosses paths with the team's charming IT manager, who is called in to help with connectivity issues. Will the two connect in more ways than one? Will the perfectly functional tablet be blamed for the outcome of the Super Bowl, the unbroken tablet, in theaters this Valentine's Day? Last week, we talked to Athos CEO DJ Jailoff about smart clothing. If you missed that episode, you can find it at recode.net slash two embarrassed to ask. And this week, we're delighted to welcome Recode's resident Google expert, Mark Bergen, to the show. Hey, Mark. Hello. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Uh, Thanks for joining us. Good. Uh, We have so much to talk about with Google. They've been busy. They've been busy. So before we talk about the earnings that just happened and uh, things like the moonshots, we're still a little confused about the reorganization of Google into Alphabet. And you've been writing a lot about it and where certain products fall. So give us a little background on what happened and you try to explain it to me. Sure. You're not the only one. I yeah. think there are people at Google that are still confused yeah. by the reorganization of Alphabet. But basically, it's think about everything that's Google and what you thought was Google. Um, so you have the search engine, Android, Chrome, YouTube, that's what the cloud business play. That's all still the same. And basically, everything that's not that has moved outside of it. So you have the Google Fiber, which is their cable business, um, Nest, which is the company they acquired that does smart home devices. Um, they have Google X, which has the self-driving cars. It has the internet balloons. It now has robotics. It has the drone deliveries. That's a separate company. They have the two investment arms, Google Ventures and Google Capital. Those are separate companies. And they also have two healthcare companies that a lot of people don't know about. Um, one's called, um, used to be called Life Sciences. It's now called Verily. And the other one is called Calico, in which they're trying to defeat death. And Google Glass was part of X. It's now back inside Google proper. Um, because if you think about Google proper, what the two things that they have that they're sort of still innovating on, which is interesting, they talked about, about this a lot at the earnings call, is machine learning, so the AI, fun AI research, that's still in Google proper, and um, virtual reality. So they've been working on virtual reality for the past year and a half, kind of quietly. Now they're talking about it more. And you know, from best I can understand, that also means augmented reality, which is you know, objects 
kind of digital objects in the real world. Mm-hmm. And the next uh, version of Google Glass is probably going to be something around. So if you look up from um, the glass and right. you're at a station, it'll tell you when the train schedule is right yeah. on your glasses. Yeah, so that's then, that's still part of the... looking over at a train station. For now, that's part of Google. Um, yeah. Who knows what it might be. So an alphabet company, it might be another So why did they do failure. this? What was the reason for it? I, part of the reason um, is because, you know, the, the best explanation was that, that Larry Page um, wanted to go off with Sergey Brennan and play with a lot of toys. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in a sense... So they, pure laziness. Okay. No. Right. Um, they did want... I think Google is now 60,000 people. And Alphabet is a massive company. It's very bureaucratic. And they, and in some ways, wanted to break that down. They wanted to become like a, a kind of portfolio of startups and a lot leaner. And, and you know, there's just... Um, drive there at the company to to have um, these moonshot innovations and these big world-changing problems they're tackling and be able to do it with a, a lot smaller teams. Where are they making money and where are they losing money? Oh, I mean, they're still making all their money from Google proper. Search. Um, yeah. On Monday, the first time they separated, they had Google and then other bets. And the other bets, which are now the eight other alphabet companies, made um, I think it was just under $500 million for the entire year. That's not much, right? Well, well I think it's 0.6% right? of yeah. what Google Well, I'm made, saying for Google, that's nothing. Billion, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, so Google also, about a tenth of that income comes from non-search and ads. So that's things like the Nexus devices, Chromebooks, um, the Play Store, whenever someone buys something in the Play Store, and uh, their enterprise business, which is also really important. They're trying to take on um, Amazon. Mm-hmm. So it's still primarily a search ad business, but you know the alphabet reorg is also about finding something else besides search ads to make money. So which are losing money? Which are the real? You know, it's interesting that, that um, of cash. Sure, the the you know, I think it was the, over the year the alphabet other bets lost about three and a half billion dollars. That was their op- um, how much money that, that went away. But Google also spends a lot of money on Google. Right. The, the data centers are really expensive. Um, they have all these research scientists that make lots and lots of money. They pay people lots of money. Um, so we saw that, you know, even though these crazy moonshots are expensive, Google itself is still the most expensive thing. Hmm. But it's, it's funny, I, I saw that they called right. them other bets, and I, I tweeted this, but I would like to start calling all things in my life that seem like risky bets, like just other bets. The other bets. Just <laughs> other, like just There's the like other other things. line yeah. for the other bets. Yeah, but, exactly. But getting back to that, again, well, as well as Google might be expensive, it's making money. Which are the ones just are just zero revenues and lots of cash coming out? Well, I think their term is Car. pre-revenue. Pre-revenue. Which is nice <laughs> <to learn. laughs> that's a, that's um, a term yeah, so investment bankers used to use. The, the only three that are making money um, is Google Fiber, and Nest, which is selling the, the thermostats. They are not making They are making oh, they them. are. Okay. And verily, the life sciences. And mm-hmm. we don't know how much each of those is making. Google's not kind enough to share. Um, it's actually the... I wrote a quick story on this, but those businesses combined are making less money than... They're making some, but they're not making less money than people thought. I and mean, Google Fiber's been around for a while. It has paying subscribers. Nest has been a company since 2010. It also has been selling devices. I mean, they're only making an aggregate $500 million. Right. So How do they make money off of Verily? Uh, Verily, they have cut these deals with pharmaceutical companies. So basically, Verily comes up with these. Um, it's They've done wearable products. They've also done um, sort of like high-tech R&D. And then they outsource and license it. So they have the um, contact lens, mm-hmm. right? They have a smart contact lens. So Novartis is going to be making the contact lens and selling it, but they'll be paying a chunk of the money to Verily. Yeah, they gotta got to stop coming up with ideas at Google. They need to focus. Stop like, coming up with ideas. Yeah, you know, like, hey, let's just focus on a few. Uh, yeah, although you could be say, nice for me. Yeah, that would be nice for you. Too bad. All right. Google the other day briefly suppressed Apple's market cap, uh, starting a day with a market valuation of $551 billion compared yeah, with Apple's gone. $531 yeah, billion. Quick. It's changed. <laughs> but what did that mean? I mean, they both go neck and neck with each other. Now they're entering the car market, obviously. 
Is it a significant thing, or is it just the way it's going to be for the two companies? Um, I think it's the first time ever, I didn't fact check this, but the first time ever that a company that's product is free is the most valuable in the world. Wow. Um, so we just said something about what Google is. Mm-hmm. Right? Their main product is free. It's not free, Mark. Later, we'll all pay. It's not free. We're <laughs> some, paying you'll somehow. See. You'll see. Um, I, you know, I think that there is investor concern with Apple that they the iPhone is the primary driver of all the revenue. Mm-hmm. They don't have a second product. And I think, you know, in many ways, that's always been the concern for Google. Yeah, what the Alphabet thing is was able to do was sort of a nice little distraction from that because it showed Wall Street, look, look, Google itself is much more profitable than you thought because mm-hmm. once we strip out all this other expensive stuff, we're still making a lot of money on search. Okay, we don't have a, a number two thing yet, but the number one thing we have is still pretty damn profitable. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. I used to joke that you know it's like uh, Colombian drug dealers going into the restaurant business; they could do anything they want. It doesn't matter. Just the like they make so much money at this one thing that it sort of eclipses anything else they could possibly right. and do. I mean, there's a good case that if, even if one of their many many bets, like if if say like the robotics division, if that gets a huge military contract, right? Or if the car. I mean, there's a lot of people that think car. Google self-driving car is going to be a massive business. Right. So when are we going to see our self-driving cars? Yeah, yeah we'll get what's, to what's that. The they just yeah. well, they just uh, today they announced their second test city in uh, Washington, Kirkland, Washington. Ah. Um, the theory I've heard for that was because there's rain, which mm-hmm. that, that is an issue. Like uh, weather, like rain and snow, is something that self-driving cars aren't uh, very good at handling. It's also close to Microsoft, so they can just go, you know. <laughs> yeah, Kirkland is close. Yeah, show up. So where where are they at? I mean, they have the autonomous cars, the fully mm-hmm. autonomous, and they have the semi-autonomous cars. Mm-hmm. Most Kara's of them. Been in one. I've you been were, in many what, of them. You were yeah. in one. I was in the many. fully. You did I was the, in the, the full, clown yeah. car. The clown car. But well, I was just in a Mercedes semi-autonomous. Mm-hmm. There's all these. Yeah, I mean, companies looking for software because that's totally. I think um, the issue is Google has is as close as, as anyone else is to the, what's like 99%, right? And so that, the, the problem, from my understanding, is not the 99%, it's that 1%, right? So you can right. have 99% driver, like it's going to be perfectly safe 99.9999% of the time, but that 0.0001% is if, if there is any accident um, and there is any fault in the tech. Um, that's where like there's just huge risk, and that's where they absolutely. Um, so right now, California's law actually requires a human driver behind the wheel, mm-hmm. which Google was very upset about. Yeah, mm-hmm. because their their whole pitch is a driverless car. You get in, you press a button, you go from A to B without yep. doing anything. One of the Mercedes engineers is telling me one of the issues is the maps aren't good, and so the yeah. best solution would be to have sensors in all the roads. But that's a that's a trillion dollar. Right? Yeah, you know, I mean, Google has to lead on maps. Yeah, um, Uber. but still, they said it will never be good enough. So sensors in a road are the right. way to go. Gotcha. So you know exactly what the road is like. And it was amazing yeah. to think too that these percentages that we're talking about are it's still human beings are still more fallible when it comes to or completely our, our percentages. Completely when I, fallible. You know, yeah, and I think I mean you're going to see like we'll see semi-autonomous, and and there mm-hmm. are people that will have the nice conspiracy theory about Google, which is probably a little bit of truth to it, that the reason they're pushing for fully driverless is because that's when they have an advantage. Right. Mm-hmm. The car companies are going to, they need to keep selling hunks of metal. And, right. And so there's, they're going to sell a hunk of metal that's like a little bit more autonomous each year and then a little bit more autonomous the next year. Mm-hmm. I think um, the issue is how easy it is to be making cars because yes. software really is the point going forward eventually because it'll be easy to make True. a car the way it's, you make a phone. It's not going to be hard. Right. Well, that is, I mean, that's what terrifies Detroit. Is yeah. They're just turning to Foxconn. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So on Wednesday, we learned that Google's head of search, Amit Singhal, is leaving, and the head of AI is taking his place. What does that mean? I, I had a great interview with Amit at uh, Code Mobile recently. 
It's a lively character. He was. Uh, so what happened there, and what what does that mean? Where's search going? Still figuring it out, but this I think it's really indicative. You know, it's been moving in this direction, but AI and, and machine learning is really important for. Google. So explain that to the regular people. Sure, sure. I mean, m- machine learning is a kind of an umbrella term for you know basically having software that can kind of learn itself and can process large reams of data. Um, and so the the idea is not just having human coders who tell a computer software like, okay, if you see this, then you do that. It's the, the software can actually train and it learns. It's, it, it learns. Learn to do it's it like, it's like the to translate. It's Terminator, gonna, but one that's not going to kill it's us. It's a benign so. Terminator. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, no such thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, until it, she locks you out of the elevator and right. storms the city, and then oh, right. I'm sorry, I watched too many movies. Right. I mean, but, it's it's immensely. Yeah. So they've they've just started this year, in fact, to put like some of the machine learning into their products. They've they've slowly kind of put it into the, the search algorithm, which had previously all like been kind of human coding, the engineer coding, and so now they're they're doing machine learning for kind of determining what search results come up, right? Because Google still, their priority is to make sure that they have the best search results. Yep, um, They're also doing a lot of voice recognition software. Um, and then you can have, they have a smart reply in their in their inbox product. And then Google Now, which is trying to make, and, and, become yeah, that Google too. Google Now has been that So being everywhere, time. surrounding you in every way, search. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's like, it's a huge priority for them because, you know, the, the big existential crisis for the company still is that we don't go to Google.com on our smartphones. Yeah, because we uh, don't. So what's the last last thing is what's something about Google that most everyday people don't understand? Just one quick thing and then we're going to play a game Mark. Oh, good. Laura and I like to uh, play games. Most everyday people don't understand. I think it's that they're uh, hopefully soon I won't take offense. They're not as competent as you think. They oh. seem everyone <laughs> I hope he doesn't take offense. <laughs> they're really quite stupid when it comes down to. <laughs> I meant more um maybe competence not the right word. They're fallible. Yeah, I mean, like the idea that kind of the popular imagination is Google watching you and they're always tracking you and they know everything about you and and certainly they do have a lot of data. But it's also, I mean, they're not intentionally malicious, but sometimes like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Right? There's Mm -hmm. a kind of instance where there's so many like there are three different groups at Google doing the same thing, and sometimes it's like maybe the executives are pitting them against each other, but at the same time it's like, oh, I didn't know that person was doing that. Yeah, it's just that's what they want you to think, Mark. Yeah, that's, that's what true. evil people do. I'm being fooled. Before they take over. But I think yeah. you're right. I think all of Silicon Valley, they have this sort of myth and ethos around them that they're geniuses and they're just people, just like everyone yeah. else. I mean, uh, they're far smarter than I am. Mm-hmm. Yes. So maybe Sundar just... actually is their AI. Like maybe Sundar is yeah. just this really friendly robot <laughs> right <laughs> now. A He's Ava behind robot. the glass Ava. wall. Oh, I just right watched now. that. Finally. And I know. Yeah. And eventually. Oh God, I hope he's not. I just. We'll see what happens. I want to see this movie now. You're upsetting me. All right, we're going to play a game now. Okay, Mark, you've been a great guest, but now it's time to play a game we call Too Embarrassed to Answer. And because the Super Bowl is in San Francisco this weekend, we're going to ask you about sports and tech colliding. (laughs) I'm going to read you three quotes, and you have to tell me what the quoted person is talking about. Are you ready for this? Uh, I haven't followed the sports since. This is a lot easier than covering Google as a reporter, I can tell you. Okay. The first one, a Squarespace press release this week proudly announced that it would help two aspiring sportscasters named Lee and Morris provide live commentary during the Super Bowl, even though they, quote, don't have the rights to talk about the actual game. Mark, by what names are Lee and Morris better known? Are they A, Penn and Teller, B, Key and Peel, or C, Harold and Kumar? Give me options. I mean, it's Key and Peel. Oh, good job. Ding, ding, ding. 
By the way, we still haven't determined from last week what the prize is. I'm looking at Eric Johnson right now. We realized that lunch with Lauren. Lucky oh, you. Yeah. All right. Do you want to read the next one, Kara? Sure. Here's a quote from the official website of Levi's Stadium, which is hosting Super Bowl 50. Anyone possessing prohibited items will be asked to return them to their cars, take them to one of our bag check stations, or dispose them in the garbage cans provided at the gate. Mark, which of the following can you not bring to the Super Bowl? Is it any non-cell phone camera, a thermos full of Soylent, a selfie stick? Oh my God, I hope it's a selfie stick. You Is are that your final answer? <laughs> yes. You are a genius, You're Mark. so smart, Mark. Although you can bring a thermos full Why can't you bring a selfie He's stick? He's Googling these. I know, he is. Like, no, yeah, he's not. I got the, I got the early chip prototype. Why does no one say he's bingies? Why can't you bring... I'm on to the... Why can't they bring a selfie stick? What's with that? Selfie stick is American as the Super Bowl. You could hurt people. Oh, for goodness sake. I don't know. I honestly don't know. People will probably find a way to use things for nefarious activity. Do the last one. we got to wrap up, Bad actors. Okay. Here's the last quote spoken by Brian Merakian from the architecture firm Populous. These stadiums are so much more than what they were in the past. They're highly dynamic entertainment complexes. Mark, that was from an article in our sister site, Curb.com. According to that story, there will be approximately 1,300 of what in Levi Stadium this Sunday? A, 4K displays, B, wireless access points, or C, high-tech urinals. <laughs> Sorry, 1,300? 1,300. That's not that many urinals. But, uh, yeah, why not? High-tech urinals. Uh, oh. Sorry. What's the answer? Wireless access points. That's a lot of wireless oh. access People points. People got to get on their phones yeah. not watch the game. Watch it's game kind of, highlights on their phones a, a rather than in person. Would be. Right. So you also stare at your phone instead of looking at a game that you paid hundreds of dollars. <laughs> world, world it could measure game. like my water intake. Oh, for yeah. Urinal. <laughs> anyway, Mark, thank you for playing. Mark, thanks so much. We want to thank you for stopping by and illuminating us on Google. You can find all of the stories that Mark has written on Alphabet and Google and the rest, and also a lot on the Super Bowl at Recode.net. And if you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, be sure to subscribe to our show. Be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday or catch up on previous episodes where we answer all the tech questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask. All on Recode.net slash too embarrassed to ask. Also, don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time at Recode with the hashtag AskRecode. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next Friday with another episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Tune in then.